Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. But then he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism. He said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you in water for repentance, but one who is coming is more powerful than I, and he is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This wonderful uh, worship service, and then we get to the scripture with John the Baptist, and it's kind of like a prickly thing, isn't it? You know, it's just not, it's not warm and fuzzy like we like at Christmas. It's kind of prickly. This Advent season, we're looking at the classic children's book, when the Grinch stole, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. In a way, the Grinch is taking on this prophetic role, kind of like John the Baptist, in seeing when something isn't quite right. It's nothing like coming to church and John the Baptist saying to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers. Vipers are snakes, right? <laughs> it's not very nice. My mom would say, that is not a polite thing to say to anybody. But I'm not John the Baptist. He was a prophet. It's kind of a grinchy thing to say, isn't it? Um, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Bear fruits. Even now the axe is lying at the foot of the tree. And the tree, therefore, that, that does not bear good fruit is going to be chopped down and thrown into the fire. It's just so, so judgmental, isn't it? It's not very Methodist, is it? You know, we don't like judgment, you know? We, we, we're a grace-filled church. But, but there, there you have it. The crowd said to John, well, what should we do? What should we do? And John said, whoever has two coats must share one with someone who doesn't have any. If anyone has has two loaves of bread, share the second loaf with someone who doesn't have any. Share what you have. The soldiers and the tax collectors came to him and said, what should we do? And John the Baptist says to them, well, don't extort from people. Be nice to people, in other words. Don't take advantage of others. Don't overcharge people just because you can. Just because you can charge more at the gas pumps doesn't mean you need to. Or something like that. That's kind of exactly what John said, right? 
John the Baptist couldn't stand religious folks who took advantage of others. John couldn't, under, couldn't stand religious folks who were stingy, who held back. John's pretty angry. Now, the Grinch is pretty angry as well. He sees all those Who's in Whoville with all their lights and their decorations. And perhaps, I mean, we can just imagine Dr. Seuss didn't tell us a backstory. We just have to make it up. And we can wonder, maybe, it, maybe the Grinch is thinking they could have spent their money more wisely. They could have shared with the poor Who's who didn't have much food instead of buying all those lights and decorations and presents. Maybe they needed to share more. You see, both the Grinch and John the Baptist are loners. They're fairly unhappy, it seems, with the, un with the celebrations around them. Both want to do with what they see as not quite hitting the mark. Doesn't quite fit in the story. Although the Grinch is not really hinting at Jesus, his winnowing fork does come, become the catalyst for a transformed heart. Matt Roll, author of the book, The Heart That Grew Three Sizes, says that maybe having a touch of Grinch isn't a bad thing. There are Christmas things that don't really have much to do with the Christmas story. I just brought some some decorations for my house and uh, um, a gift does a gift have anything to do with the Christmas story yes thank you yes that let's hear that again does a grit I mean does a present have anything to do with the Christmas story thank you yes because the wise men brought gifts and and John the Baptist in his sermon says, you got to share, right? Well, let's look at some, uh, at some Christmas decorations from my house. So here, here in this bag is a little manger scene. There's, this is an ornament that looks like it's broken. And, um, and it's got Mary and Joseph. I know you can see it really well. Just take my word for it. It's got baby Jesus in there. Does that have anything to do with the Christmas story? Yes. Okay, here's another one, the Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. Does that have anything to do with the Christmas story? Yes, that passes the test. And, and, and there's some more in there too. Now, here is something else from our decoration, some bells. Does that have anything to do with the Christmas story? You know... There are church bells that call people to church. Okay, it's a, it's a it's a reach, not not so much really. And then here's it, something else, one of our favorites. We have a bunch of nutcrackers for our Christmas decorations. Does that have anything to do with the Christmas story? No. But do we love them? Okay. There we are. Um, okay, and, and, and here is an angel. Um, does that have anything to do with the Christmas story? It passes all right. Very good. And, and this is one of our favorite decorations here. Does it have anything to do with the Christmas story? The, 
I don't know if you could hear that, but it's a bathroom decoration and it talks to you anytime you go in the bathroom, you know? And it, and, and it says, if you need paper, I've got plenty. And, um, and you walk in and turn on the light and it says, hey, what you doing? <laughs> Yesterday, <laughs> I was doing some premarital counseling at, at my house and, and, somebody, and one of the, uh, the bride that had to go to the bathroom and, and, and I just sat there and I could hear it going off. <laughs> it was great. It was great. Does it have anything to do with Christmas? No. You see, there are things that have gotten in our Christmas story, hasn't it, that, that, are, that, that, that aren't, don't really belong. So what would John the Baptist or the Grinch say about my snowman in the bathroom? He would say it's not part of the story. It's good just to be honest and say, hey, we, we have things in our Christmas stories that just don't really belong but they make us laugh and I'm not here to blast anybody's decorations Um, I'm just here to laugh and you know just make fun of us because that's what happens sometimes we just things get into our story and we weave weave it into the uh, the Christmas John the Baptist and the Grinch were raising alarms about how the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Who's, people were letting other things get more important than the real meaning at Christmas. It's so easy to do to let other things get in the way and that distract us from the main thing. So if I were to ask you a question, what is most important about following Jesus? Is it what you believe? Is it what you feel? Or what you do? What, what is most important? Your beliefs, your, what your feelings, your experience, or, or your actions? What would you say? Okay, there's just all kinds of answers, isn't it? You know, different communities, different Christian communities emphasize different things. And, uh, you know, some churches, they say, well, have you felt Jesus in your heart? Have you had that experience, you know? Have you experienced? Experience that warm heart. That's important. And other other churches say, no, no, no. What's important is that you believe the right things, you say the right words. And then other traditions say, well, it's what you do, what you do. Um, You know, what's most important? It seems to me John in this scripture is advocating that you need to bridge the chasm of what you say you believe and what what you actually do. So the most important thing John would say here is, is what, your, what your actions are. You know, we, we say in celebrating the birth of Jesus that, that it's all about Jesus and giving, but we really like Frosty and we like Rudolph. We're celebrating the birth of Jesus, but we get distracted by kids left alone at home or elves and holiday feast. And just for the record, I think Elf is one of the best movies ever. You know, I can't go through the Christmas season without Buddy, you know, helping me celebrate. You know, it's just so fun. It makes me laugh. But then John the Baptist and the Grinch shows up, and they challenge me to remember, challenge us to remember the Christmas story. 
The Grinch had a light bulb moment uh, when, when tr the true meaning of Christmas came alive for him when he realized that Christmas came regardless of the packages and the food. Dr. Seuss writes, the Grinch said, maybe Christmas is something more. He puzzled Christmas came without ribbons, packages, boxes, or bags. The Grinch, the Grinch puzzled these things till his puzzler was sore. Then he thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, is a little bit more. There was a light bulb moment. I've had light bulb moments in my life sometimes, haven't you? I had a light bulb moment this year when I read John Archibald's book, Shaking the Gates of Hell, A Search for Family and Truth in, in the Wake of the Civil Rights Revolution. Did anybody read that book? Very interesting book. He uses some, a word that I wouldn't want him to use if me and his mama wasn't pleased that he used it a lot. But the title comes from a sermon by John Wesley where John Wesley said, Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin. And desire nothing but God. And I care not whether they are lay or clergy. They will, they will shake the gates of hell. And set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. So John's, John's father uh, was Bob Archibald. Who was the Methodist preacher and pastor here at this church. Uh, when John was born. And after Bob's death. John wondered what did his dad say about the civil rights movement. Which was of course a big big deal in the 60's. And he, said, and he really hoped that his dad had preached about civil rights. And thought about it you know in, in the 60's. And one of the most iconic events in the civil rights movement. As you know was in, here in Birmingham. When children were blasted by fire hoses and dogs were sicked on them and it was on the national news and it was it, it, it made a big difference and still does that's still the photo op that you think of in the civil rights movement and so so John was pastoring here at Alabaster Bob was pastoring here at Alabaster at, at this church it in 1963 when this happened and so John went and said well I wonder what my dad said about civil rights um, it, it, the Sunday after that happened in that, you know, in, in May of 1963. And, uh, and he wanted his dad so badly. I hope my dad um, quoted from that song, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. But he was disappointed. His dad said nothing. He was silent about the most issue, the important issue of the day. Here at Alabaster, they celebrated Children's Sunday. So they celebrated Children's, but not one mention was made of the chaos and horrific acts that were, act, that were taking place just 15, 18 miles away. Throughout the book, John talks about how his father was silent on civil rights and how every now and then he did at not at this church but at another church speak up on behalf of of African Americans his when, when Bob as when he was an older minister I remember when he did this and those of you who knew Bob knew that he was a kind and wonderful person 
And John, his son, says he's the best man I ever knew. The best man I ever knew. But why was he so silent on the issues of the day? Um, he, his family was very proud of him because he did speak out about LGBTQ rights um, when, he, when he got older. And, and they were so proud of him because he did speak out for a more inclusive church. One of my older preacher friends who pastored churches in Alabama during the 60s um, said, you, you can't judge someone for that time. You know, you just had to live there. It was an explosive time. It was a hard time. Um, and John kind of came to the conclusion that his, his dad didn't speak out on social issues of the day because he just wanted to keep his job and he wanted to support his family. What the light bulb moment for me was, what, what are my grandkids or kids going to do um, in a few years or sometime if they come and said, Dad, Granddad, when you, were, when you had a pulpit and a congregation, these social issues, these important issues were going on, what did you say about them? Maybe they'll go through my sermons and my writings and my books and say, what did he say about these issues that were going on in his day? It was a light bulb moment for me. It's, a John, it's as if John the Baptist or the Grinch is coming to see and say, what are you doing, Dale, to speak out and make a difference in the world? What if they look at my bank account statements and say, I wonder how generous old preacher Dale was. Was he really as generous as he said he was or tried to get other people to be? But you know, John the Baptist would say, it's not our children and grandchildren's judgment that we need to be really concerned about. We need to worry about the expectations of God. If we look closely at the expectations John the Baptist has for us in, in his little sermon today, to be a follower, John is saying that we need to share our clothes, our money, our food with those who don't have as much. And you know, if we think about it, that's not really asking that much. He says, don't take advantage of people just because you can. John is saying our actions are very important. It's not our beliefs or feelings. Sometimes they get in the way. They become distractions. But, you know, I bet if you and I were to develop a list of expectations for Christians, our list would be longer, wouldn't they? We expect more. I might even think about including Jesus' golden rule, treat others like you would like to be treated, love God and your neighbor. There were some folks in Israel, like the Pharisees and Sadducees, that made it difficult to get right with God. These Pharisees had, Pharisees had long lists of things you had to do, things you couldn't do. Um, they, they were worried about who was in and who was out. And John shows up and says, there will, there will be a judgment, but you don't need to make it harder than it needs to be. We shouldn't emphasize the wrong things in our zest to be followers. My own Christmas decorations are examples of how easy it is to, you know, to do things that are not essential. People ask John, 
if he was the Messiah. And he says, no, 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 I am not the Messiah. I only point to the one who is to coming after me. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. I baptize with water, but he will baptize with fire and wind, the symbols of the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus who will judge as the farmer separates the chaff from the wheat. You know, in those old days, farmers, they would, they would gather the wheat and there's a little chaff that comes with the wheat, you know, part of the, the wheat stalk and it's, it's lighter than wheat. So on a windy day, they would, they would pour from one bowl to another the, the wheat and the chaff would, would fly away, you know, in the wind or they would throw it up in the wind and that's a separation. And, and, and one of the great fears about wheat fields when it's really dry it can, if it catches on fire, it burns. It's very combustible. And it will burn, burn, burn before you can do anything about it. But the point is to save the wheat, not burn the chaff. The point of that is to save the wheat. Followers are supposed to produce fruit, John says. Wheat through our actions. It's not just believing the right thing or having a certain feeling, but living the right way. John is asking us, are you being generous and sharing and not taking advantage of others? A story is told about a young girl who she and her siblings were raised by their grandparents. And they, they lived in this 600 square foot house, a small home. And each Sunday, the grandfather would, would carefully set aside one-tenth of what they had made that week and, and take, give it to the church when they went to church. And he would give each child, each grandchild, a dollar so they could put in the offering because they believed that each person was responsible for producing fruit. Everybody's responsible for, for producing fruit. And the grandmother would take her grandkids to the to the grocery store when she shopped. And, and, and it, this is just funny to me to think about. But everything they bought, they bought it in twos. They bought two boxes of cereal, two packages of hot dogs, two, two cartons of eggs, two things, a flour, whatever they bought, they bought it in two. And then on the way home from the grocery store, they would go by the food bank and they'd divide it up. The food bank would get their half and they'd take their half. And the, and the, and the young girl one time, she, she said, Grandma, I really want this particular cereal that, that I've seen advertised on on TV and, and not just the generic Cheerios. And, and, and the grandmother said, we can't afford it. If we can't afford it for two, we can't afford it for one. This practice shaped these children. It taught them to be generous. When I read that story, I think, wow. She really takes that story from John the Baptist literally. With her logic, if you had an extra car, you'd give the, your extra car. Um, you'd give it to NPR or something, or the church. If you had an extra house, you're going to give that away. That's very generous, isn't it? Give it to someone that doesn't have any. I'm not that generous. But the story does 
make me realize, you know, when I go shopping, I can buy something for somebody else and bring it to the church for the food pantry. I can do my part. I used to do it when I went to Publix on the on the one cent day when they used to have that. Maybe they still do, but I'm not so in tune with Publix anymore. I like to think that John the Baptist wasn't just making a rule about giving, but he was trying to help us understand that when we give, we feel better about ourselves. The act of serving brings meaning and joy in our lives. In an affluent society, it's so easy to get bored, isn't it? I have visited so many people who have everything they need, and they're so bored. And I think it's so pitiful. You know, when we're bored... We need to hear John saying, hey, you can get joy and meaning in life when you serve others, when you share what you have. After John the Baptist's sermon, those who heard it said, what shall we do? That's my response as well. Isn't it yours? If we want more meaning and joy in our lives, We can find a way to bless others. And you know, you know you want that too. Our church, as I said earlier in the service, have sponsored 106 children for Christmas this year. And I suspect that those who bought those bikes and those gifts and those LOL dolls, as weird as they look to me, we received a blessing just by purchasing those things and sharing with others that are in need. It was a blessing for God to share his son with us at Christmas. We too can experience a blessing when we duplicate that kind of sharing and that kind of attitude and being a blessing for others. Let us pray. Here we are, Lord. It's clear that there's expectations for us. Speak to our hearts. Help us to experience the joy and generosity of Christmas in our own hearts and lives. Convict us if we are stingy. Bless us if we're generous. And use us so others will know Christmas this year. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.